Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We're going to do stuff a little bit differently on this episode of the Bruce Exclusive. We did not get an opportunity to do plurality pie last week, so we're going to lead with it this week. Then we're going to talk about some assorted thoughts about defensive back technique. We're going to talk about weird situation with Bills Bengals. We're going to talk about Kyir Yilam and Khalil Shakir. We're going to take an email. We're going to get out of here. So let's start with plurality pie for the Buffalo Bills victory. Albeit a tight one. Albeit an uncomfortable one. In the wild card round of the playoffs over the division rival Miami Dolphins. Kyir Elam, have a day, young man, 18%. Josh Allen, 17%. Stephon Diggs, 13%. Gabriel Davis, 12%. Matt Milano, 11%. Tremaine Edmonds, 11%. Khalil Shakir, 7%. Other, 11%. So good to see Kyir Elam playing well. It was the type of game... He was born to play against the type of receivers he was brought in to play against. When you have Jalen Waddell and you have Tyreek Hill, you need athletes. You need people who can run. You need people with ball skills. You need people who can challenge. And Kyrie Elam did all that. Ironically enough, the interception was in zone and the pass breakup on fourth down to essentially seal the game was in man. So I find it very ironic that he made two of the biggest plays of the game and both of those plays occurred in different coverages. Khalil Shakir, we're going to get to later. But it should be noted that Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, also had big games. Gabriel Davis had a big game, which was great to see. If you have a real vertical game, and Gabriel Davis doesn't show out, I'd be more surprised than if he did. If the game plan and the film revealed lots of vertical shots and Gabriel Davis wasn't a significant part of that, then I'd be weirded out. But, great to see him have a good game. A note on defensive back technique. We've talked a little bit in the past about how Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace. Oh, man, they don't make plays in the ball. I want to talk to you a little bit about defensive back technique. I'm not going to get super into the weeds. But one of the things that sometimes defensive backs are coached is that turning your head around slows you up. And if you're already slower than the receiver and you're trying to get to the catch point, maybe you fell out of face or maybe you were just in your spot in zone coverage and you're closing on the ball. Turning your head around, if you have your back to the ball, slows you up. So get the head around is a luxury that's reserved for people with speed. 
Georgia corners, famously, are not taught to get their head around. It was a discussion with Tyson Campbell. They are taught to play through the hands of the receiver. So when you say get your head around, get your head around, sometimes that's actually the opposite of what the corner is actually taught. And there's a reason why the corner is taught that. If I turn my head around and try and track the ball, number one, that's really difficult to do. I don't know if you've ever done it before. But running full speed, turning your head around, tracking the ball, being aware of where a receiver is, while also not slowing yourself down, is extremely tough. It requires unbelievable hand-eye coordination. Whereas if you keep your head down, you run toward the receiver, you use the visual cues that you're already facing, which is the receiver's body, and play through the hands, you might have a greater chance of success. Getting your head around is a luxury reserved for people with exceptional ability. So one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that the Buffalo Bills drafted a corner high and got somebody with good athletic traits so that they can have that kind of coordination. Because if you're in phase of the receiver and the ball's coming, you can get your head around, sure. You're in phase. You don't have to gain any ground. You don't have to make up any lost time. You don't have to get back in phase and then try and break up the pass. This came up because Taron Johnson, of course, made a great play on the ball, punched through the hands of Jalen Waddell, hit the ball, and then ended up hitting Jalen Waddell directly in the face, which is completely okay because he made contact with the ball first. But it kind of sparked a thought in me about the way we talk about defensive back technique and how we scream at people, get your head around, get your head around. If they're detached from their receiver, if they are trying to get back to the catch point and their back is to the ball and they don't get their head around, it might be because they weren't taught to do that. And the reason they might not have been taught to do that is because getting your head around is a luxury reserved for people who are exceptional athletes and they're in phase. So I want to point that out. I understand it's kind of a unique topic. But I wanted to chat about it. A weird situation is brewing with the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. They already game planned for each other. But they didn't really show each other the hand that they were getting ready to deal. Both teams were still inside what would traditionally be the game script. Usually the first 15 plays. When the game was stopped. Which means... They got a chance to see how the opposing team is going to react to some of the game's scripted plays. But they didn't get a chance to make any adjustments, which means your script for this game could be primarily based on what you saw from your script last game, which creates kind of a weird situation. I kind of like it. It's like a kooky coaching thing. And I'm really, really, really interested win or loss, to dive into the film of this game that's upcoming against the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Specifically because it's such a unique circumstance. They saw each other's scripts, but they didn't see each other's counters to the scripts. So if they can successfully predict how the team was going to react to some of the scripted plays, and then they have to react to the reactors. Now it's Rock, paper, scissors. I threw rock. I saw you throw paper. So now I throw scissors thinking you're going to throw paper. But does that guy know I'm going to throw scissors? So now he throws rock. It's fascinating. It just creates a really interesting dynamic. And I think that we should be talking about it more. 
And I think that one of the things you should be keeping an eye out for on Sunday is that rock, paper, scissors. Because a unique situation is showing up that's essentially never occurred in the NFL. And I think it's fun. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I got an email that I want to go through. I got an email specifically about QB Stew. And in this email about QB Stew, it came from Stephen. And Stephen said, Bruce, initially, I would like to take the opportunity to say I enjoy your show. I find your commentary to be both thoughtful and eloquent. Thank you for taking the time to produce such a quality program. With the pleasantries aside, every fourth week of the games, I look forward with anticipation to hear the quarterback rankings for the previous quarter of the NFL season. Where does Josh Allen rank among the other quarterbacks in a thorough investigation of a meaningful quarterback metric amalgamation? Clearly seen. You have compiled an exhausted list of different metrics in order to attain a holistic reading of QB rankings, which appears to be invaluable to the argument of who is the best-ranked quarterback. I wonder, perhaps, if there may exist a meaningful metric that is not included in your quarterback cornucopia. Currently, the QB stew amalgamation of stats and figures is comprised of QBR, passer rating, average net yards per attempt, EPA per play, DVOA, and CPOE. While this metric list does offer a detailed look into the type of passer the quarterback may be, I would like to suggest that perhaps it leaves out one of the most important stats of the modern quarterback and the approach for offensive schemes today, the mobile quarterback. It does not appear, by my limited understanding, that the metrics offered to taste in the stew include a detailed look at the scrambling and design runability of the 33 quarterbacks currently qualified for evaluation. Generally speaking, the running aspect of a quarterback game is secondary skill to compare to throwing the football. I believe, however, that there's a thoughtful adjustment in the evolution of the game that gears toward a running and hurdling quarterback style. In short, what the running quarterback offers is unique, but it should be accounted for in the stew, as it matters. What Tom Brady can do and what Lamar Jackson can do are very different from each other, and yet both are incredibly valuable to the quarterback position. In the spirit of not offering a problem without a solution, the stew moving forward, perhaps, could include a rushing or scramble yards per attempt metric. This would offer a measurement that has become important to the evolving quarterback position today. I would be curious if this additional ingredient would offer a much different and perhaps more accurate QB stew. Bon appetit. Thanks for your thoughtful consideration, Stephen. Stephen, I thought long and hard about this when I was creating QB stew. And it's very important that I frame this. The reason why I wanted to read this whole thing is because we just finished with QB Stew. It's going to be a significant topic of conversation for the entire offseason because there are no more QB Stews. QBR, EPA per play, DVOA, and PFF grade, which you didn't mention in your email. All of them have rushing as part of their calculation. All of them. The only three that don't are CPOE, passer rating, and average net yards per attempt. In fact, the only reason passer rating is even in the stew to begin with is to push the metric toward passing more. Because I wanted to acknowledge that passing, as you said, is more important than rushing. It absolutely is. 
Passing is more important than rushing for a quarterback. But I had so many metrics in there that calculated in rushing. I didn't use PFF passing grade. I used PFF grade, which accounts for rushing. EPA per play accounts for rushing. DVOA accounts for rushing. QBR accounts for rushing. In fact, QBR is heavily, heavily slanted toward rushing. Rushing has a very significant impact on QBR. If you rush for a third down conversion as a quarterback, your QBR is really good for that play. The reason why average net yards per attempt, passer rating, CPOE, are in there is that those are the metrics that are exclusively passing. So I don't want to have one that's exclusively rushing, but I have multiples that include rushing, that are part of rushing. But I do want to have some that are exclusively passing because I want to push the metric that direction. I want it to be much more 70-30 or 60-40. Passing toward rushing as far as the influence of the individual metrics inside of it when it comes to passing the ball. So multiple of the metrics that are already involved in quarterback stew account for rushing. So that's the reason why it's built the way it's built. It's the reason why I selected specifically the metrics that I selected. Hope that makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about Khalil Shakir. I mentioned we were going to get into him a little bit later and we're going to do exactly that. I wrote an opinion piece for buffalorumblings.com Because Khalil Shakir and Kair Elam have been significant topics of conversation this week. They both played meaningful roles in the playoff win against the Miami Dolphins. We have a first-round cornerback. We have a fifth-round receiver. And throughout 2022, a topic of conversation has been their snap counts. It has been, hey, they've seen fewer snaps this season than I would have preferred. But they both contributed heavily toward the victory over the Miami Dolphins last week. And even though they both acquitted themselves really well for mistakes they had made either in that game or previously, and they certainly both made the case for more playing time, I am in opposite positions myself when it comes to Kair Elam and Khalil Shakir. I'm very comfortable saying that Kair Elam should get the lion's share of the snaps at CB2 opposite Tredavious White. I mentioned earlier that Khalil Shakir showed great zone awareness. Don't just get to your landmark and sit there. A zone is an ever-living, breathing entity. It must be fluid. So many times when you're teaching someone to play zone, they just feel like they're running to a spot. But you have to be thinking and moving and adjusting while you're doing it. It requires awareness and vision. And Kyrie Elam knew that there was no one in front of him he needed to be responsible for. As such, he can continue to get depth and make a play on the ball. And if he hadn't done that, that's probably a completed pass and a ridiculous third down conversion. That showed great zone awareness. That's the type of thing that causes you as a zone defensive coordinator and a head coach to trust your corner. So I'm completely comfortable saying he should be getting the lion's share of snaps at CB2 moving forward opposite Tredavious White. But I'm also perfectly fine, perfectly fine, with a platoon at wide receiver three with Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, and Khalil Shakir. 
Why? Because the wide receiver three position for the Bills has many, many different roles. It's not just one thing. There's the jet sweep and gadget function. There's the traditional slot, quick hitting, shorter routes. And there's a vertical component. McKenzie, Beasley, and Shakir all neatly fill each one of those roles better than one player, even a player I like as much as Khalil Shakir could currently fill on his own. McKenzie has been a gadget player and a designated jet sweep guy for years in Buffalo. And his straight line speed and knowledge of the rushing angles, along with the offensive system, puts him in the driver's seat for touches in that role. Now, I'm not saying that Khalil Shakir couldn't eventually do it. One of the things that's surprising, and you might find this strange to hear, is that Khalil Shakir's straight line speed and acceleration, almost identical to Isaiah McKenzie's. Isaiah McKenzie ran the 40-yard dash in 4.42. Khalil Shakir ran it in 4.43. Isaiah McKenzie had a 1.52 second 10-yard split. Khalil Shakir had a 1.49 10-yard split. So I think that Khalil Shakir could eventually do that job. But I wouldn't really want him to do it right now. We don't have any record of him ever doing it before. So is it crazy to say that McKenzie would be better in that particular role? No, I don't think it is. He's got the leg up and offensive system, and he has experience in ball handling and those types of plays. It makes sense in the playoffs to have McKenzie fill that role and continue to fill that role. I'm not saying Shakir couldn't do it eventually down the line. I think he absolutely could. But it makes sense to have McKenzie for that reason. Cole Beasley, on the other hand, continues to remain a nuanced route runner. He can present himself open as a target to Josh Allen. Short, intermediate parts of the field. He can separate from man coverage still, even though he's lost a little bit of a step. And he can uncover quickly. I'm not saying he hasn't lost a bit of suddenness, because he absolutely has. But he's got the football IQ, the trust of Josh Allen, the knowledge of leverage and route running. He remains valuable in the role he currently occupies. Khalil Shakir, on the other hand, has proven to be shockingly effective vertically during his short time in Buffalo. Did you know he's second on the team in average distance of target? 12.0 yards. The only one higher than him is Gabriel Davis, who everyone just considers to be a deep threat guy. But Khalil Shakir has only played 58.3% of his snaps from the slot. Now, you might think that sounds like a lot, but Beasley and McKenzie for comparison, have taken 83.3% and 80.2% of their snaps from the slot, respectively. So you can use Shakir from the slot as a wide receiver three, but the team is also clearly more comfortable having him play on the line of scrimmage versus the other two, which can allow Gabriel Davis or Stephon Diggs to operate out of the slot on that snap. It's an entirely different role. That's what I'm saying. It's not take Cole Beasley out and then have Khalil Shakir do Cole Beasley things. It's not take Isaiah McKenzie out and have Khalil Shakir do Isaiah McKenzie things. They're three distinct roles. And when it's a fifth round rookie, having him fill one role instead of three, when you have the other two roles that are filled by people who have experience doing them and get that magic word, trust doing it, that's not unreasonable. Khalil Shakir has played 
fundamentally a different role this year than either Beasley or McKenzie. He can absolutely be handed more snaps while a role is also carved out for the other two. I don't think it needs to be an either or a proposition like it is at CB2. I think it's a completely different conversation and we're lumping it into one. We are conflating the Khalil Shakir conversation and the Kyir Elam conversation and I think they're different. I think there's room. There's a role for all three. I'm excited about Khalil Shakir too. There is nobody who was more excited when the Buffalo Bills drafted Khalil Shakir than me. I would have been completely happy with him in the third round before the Bills missed out on the fourth round. I was thrilled. Literally did a Twitter dance. We're talking about two players that I was ecstatic to have drafted. You guys know how much I was pounding the table for Kair Elam or a meaningful athlete in the first round for the Buffalo Bills at corner. For years, you know how excited I was about Khalil Shakir. But the conversations are different. We're treating them like they're the same, but they're not. Because Kyrie Elam can do the things that Dane Jackson can do and more. But Khalil Shakir has his own unique role. And it's okay if that's the case as a rookie. Cole Beasley might not be back next year. McKenzie might not be back next year. If that's the case and you want to have Khalil Shakir do the things that are currently being done by Cole Beasley and by Isaiah McKenzie has an entire offseason to learn that stuff, okay. And if he's not ready and you want to bring back Cole Beasley for another one-year deal, okay, that's fine too. But it's not the same. They're not interchangeable. Kair Elam is. The big concern about Kair Elam was the ability in zone, which I think has been really good, and the tackling, which has been good, and Dane Jackson's has regressed this year. So I can't think of a really strong argument for Dane Jackson getting the lion's share of the snaps at CB2 over Kyrie Elam. But I can think of meaningful arguments as to why Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley should continue to have roles that are distinct from the one occupied by Khalil Shakir. And maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you wanted to hear me say that you can take all of their snaps, all of them, with everything they do, and give them to Khalil Shakir. Because I'm such a Khalil Shakir fan, and I am. I'm very excited about him moving forward. And if that's the case, then I'm sorry. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>